All right. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our series on a healthy church before we dive into Romans. And to do so, we are going to look at one more critical mark of a healthy church. And that's love. That's right. Love. And I thought, since we are going to be talking about love, I'd start with a quick reminder. Gentlemen, two weeks from Tuesday. It's called Valentine's Day. I'm not going to say any more, just a friendly reminder. All right, love. I don't know if you are anything like me, and I, I, I imagine many of you aren't, but if you are, when you think about love, songs come to mind. And those songs have lots and lots and lots of different meanings of love, and I must confess it's been killing me this whole week as I have had love songs stuck in my mind. And maybe even if you worked in the church office, you might have heard a few sneak out of my mouth. Here's some examples. I don't think I'm going to sing, but you never know as the Spirit leads. But since we have the kids in the service today, I'll start with one. Uh, Can you feel the love tonight from the Lion King when Simba and Nala are finally reunited. And I love here, you see, it's enough to make kings and vagabonds believe the very best. I don't know if I know what that means, but there you go. Or how about all you need is love, the Beatles. Pretty simple here. Love is all you need. It fixes everything. Not a bad concept, but I noticed, I was looking at the lyrics, every verse ends with, it's easy. Now, I'm not saying I'm the love expert, but I think I'm going to have to disagree with the Beatles on that one. Love is anything but easy. One lyric, in fact, that kept coming to mind this week was, I love you, baby, from the song Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, probably most famously done by Frankie Valley. But of course, the best version for the 90s kids was by Heath Ledger. Now that song, though, when it comes to love, it it seems to be just a little bit too focused on looks. One more. The line that has been stuck most in my mind all week, and perhaps for today, asks the question that we need to ask when it comes to love and a healthy church is, oh, oh, what's love got to do? Got to do with it. That's right, Tina Turner, the queen of rock and roll. My dad was a big Tina Turner fan, and he might not like that I just announced that publicly, but (laughs) Tina asked, what's love got to do? That's probably not the way you thought we'd start this morning, but that really is the question. What's love got to do with a healthy church? And of course, the answer, to answer that question, we've got to go to God's word. Let's go ahead and go there now. Open your Bibles. We're going to be in the gospel of John today in chapter 13. We're going to look at two verses this morning, John chapter 13, 
verses 34 and 35. It's on page 706 of the provided Bibles or 1,156 of my Bible. I'm just killing time for you to get there. All right, follow along with me, John 13, 34 through 36. Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just two verses, but very powerful words from Jesus. Today, I want to consider three key points from these verses as they relate to love and a healthy church. But first, we should best understand the context in which Jesus gives this new commandment to love one another. You see, those verses come during the Last Supper, the Passover meal Jesus has with his disciples just before he's crucified. The beginning of John 13 starts with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It's this amazing act of humility where the the master humbles himself and becomes the servant. And then right after this, Jesus declares that one of his disciples, whose feet he, he just washed, was going to betray him. Jesus showed his love and humble service not just to his disciples alone, but also to his betrayer. And then next, Jesus declares his time has come. The Son of Man is to be glorified. Jesus points to the cross, points to his sacrificial death that's imminent. The greatest picture of love ever displayed. And then he gives this new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. The context of Jesus' words here emphasize their significance and they highlight that Jesus didn't just tell us what to do, but he showed us what to do. He showed us how to love one another. So with that, let's begin our three key points on love and a healthy church. So first, a healthy church must be marked by love. A healthy church must be marked by love. Not theological prowess, not amazing programs, not an awesome building, not great arguers on social media to prove everybody wrong. But love, love for the church is not an option. It's not this bonus on top of everything. In fact, it's foundational. A healthy church must be marked by love. Two things I want to emphasize on this point. Number one, love is a command. Love is a command for us individually and for us together. We are to love one another. And you can't love one another all by yourself. It must be done together. It's a command for the church. And it's not an encouragement or an, hey, if you feel like it, that would be nice. 
but it's a command. Right? Jesus makes it emphatically clear when he says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, perhaps you're sitting there wondering, why is it new? If you know your Old Testament, you may know that in Leviticus, there's a command to love your neighbor as yourself, which is pretty close. And in the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew 22, answering a Pharisee's question about what commandment is the greatest, Jesus replies, first, love the Lord your God, but second, quoting Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. So it seems like this love thing, this love commandment has been around for a while. So why is it new? Well, there's two aspects to its newness. First, it's new in relation to its, its standard, its qualification. You see, it's no longer love as you love yourself, but love like Christ loves you. And brothers and sisters, Jesus' love is a much, much higher standard. And second, you see, it's new because it's the new commandment for the new covenant. Back to the significance of when and where Jesus gives this commandment, he's in the process, really, of inaugurating the new covenant. He's sharing the Last Supper with his disciples that he establishes as an ordinance for the church that we even celebrate today, where we remember his body broken and his blood poured out for us, the blood of the new covenant. And so just as the old covenant had its commandments, the law, this new covenant has its commandment to love one another like Jesus loves us. Love is a command. In fact, it is the command for the church. Which brings us to the second thing I want to emphasize here. Number two, love is central. Love is central. You see, it's foundational when it comes to marks of a healthy church. We have covered three marks of a healthy church in our sermon series that are essential. Gospel-centeredness, disciple-making, and biblical leadership. Those are so important, but love must be central. Love is number one. You see, we can see this in our passage implicitly. You see, of all the things Jesus could have called his disciples to, right before he goes to the cross, there could have been a ton of amazing things. There's 600 and something laws in the Old Testament. But what does he do? He calls them to one thing, to love one another. Not something else on our list of good things, but love. And if that's not enough for you this morning, 1 Corinthians 13 one through three explicitly shows us love's centrality and importance in the church. Paul writes this. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, which is pretty amazing, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
You see, church, if we have all the gifts in the world, every healthy mark we could collectively come up with but have not love, we are nothing. So what's love got to do with it? Well, everything. A healthy church must be marked by love. It's a command. It must be central in the church. Now, even though we got Tina's question answered, we need more, right? We need a bit more clarity around the word love itself. Love comes with a lot of baggage, all right? And you can take that in all types of different ways. But the word itself even comes with a lot of cultural ambiguity and people throw out new meanings every day. In fact, we're inundated with different meanings for love and it's currently even trying to shift in our culture. And so we need to make sure we understand what love actually is. And our passage at least qualifies it for us, right? We aren't just to love one another. We're to love one another as Jesus loves. Not worldly love, but Jesus' love. And that's our second key point. A healthy church loves like Jesus. Not like a Hallmark movie. Not like the idealized Valentine's Day version of love that you gentlemen are just going to knock out of the park in two weeks. I know. I didn't hear a resounding amen there. It's okay. Because we must understand what Jesus means by love. What God's word means by love. Because God... Is who defines love. First John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So, love is from God, and God is love. Thus, God's definition is all that matters. And so today, we're going to watch a short video. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to watch a short video from the Bible Project that I believe provides a great picture of the kind of biblical love Jesus models and calls us to. So to define love, let's watch that video now. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rahmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. 
But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like, love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. All right. I know there's a lot in that video, but I do promise they went through that a lot faster than I could, and uh, that's a good thing. But I do think that video just offers a really great biblical picture of love. And so I want to dive into that a little bit more with three things as we begin to consider how the church is to love like Jesus. So number one, love is an active choice. 
Love is a choice. You see, love isn't something that we're just going to stumble into in our lives. It's something that we have to commit to. It isn't just a feeling or a thought or maybe even a posture that we take towards someone. It's active. It's lived out. Right? The most well-known Bible verse, John 3.16, doesn't say God so loved the world that he felt the love for it, that he couldn't keep his eyes off of it, or that he thought about it all the time. No, it says God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent. God's love for the world comes out through action. God did something. As it just said, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Earlier we read God is love. And that love, God himself, is revealed to us through his actions. God revealed himself by sending Jesus Christ to save sinners like us. And so love is an active choice that endures, not a feeling that comes and goes. Second, love is others-centered. Love is to be directed towards others, not towards ourselves. Love's not to be self-centered. It's not to be inward and selfish, but instead outward and selfless. Just think of everybody's favorite and the most popular wedding passage, right? Which, by the way, it's written for the church. It's written for all of us, not specifically for newlyweds. We already heard the preceding verses, actually, the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, where we learned that without love, we are nothing. But now listen to the active, other-centered meaning of the word. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. An enduring, other-centered choice. You see, church, when we love, we actually live out Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You see, our culture puts self-love up on a pedestal. But biblical love, Christ-like love, is others-centered, selfless, and outward, counting others more significant than yourself, where the master can humble himself, become a servant, and wash the feet of his disciples. And third here, love is God-focused. Perhaps the, the most important thing today, love is to be God-focused. Let's listen to this part very carefully here. Love is not to be inward focused and selfish as our culture promotes that we just talked about, but it is actually supposed to be upward focused, God focused, looking to Christ. Now I know I just said love is others centered and that's correct because our love is to be outward directed. But you see, even as we love outwardly, the, the focus, the reason, our heart motivation has got to be God focused. God focused. 
We focus on God, upward focused, and that is what leads to outward action. Others-centered love. And this is where we have to be very careful. Because we can so easily turn loving others into, the, into a selfish action. We're very quickly, instead of God-focused, we can become self-focused. Luke 6, where Jesus calls us to love our enemies, really helps enlighten this point here. He says, but love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Expecting nothing in return. It's so, so easy to love others. But then the reality is in our heart, we expect that return on investment. If we're being honest with ourselves, often our motivation for loving, for caring for someone is to get something in return. But that is not Christ-like love. That passage said God loves the ungrateful and the evil, expecting nothing in return, which is really, really good news for us, brothers and sisters, because he's talking about us. And oh, by the way, in all reality, we have nothing that God needs from us, nothing that can benefit him. But yet, he loves us. It's really an amazing thing. And that's the love that he calls us to. A love that's not expecting or seeking a reward, but instead is focused on God and his reward. Think of Jesus in his life, right? Jesus was focused on God, and he was focused really on God's love for him, for his son. And this is displayed throughout the Gospels. I've been reading through the Gospels quite a bit, and it's just amazing to me how often Jesus is just focused on the Father, how often he's focused on God's love. For one example, John 17, we'll stay in John this morning, 26, Jesus prays and he says this, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus focused on obeying the Father's will, focused on making God's name known, but in that he's focused on God's perfect love for him, which results in God's love coming out in and through Christ and his love for us, his selfless love for sinners like you and me. And then through all of that, ultimately, God is glorified. And so a healthy church loves like Jesus, a God-focused, others-centered, active love that ultimately brings glory to God. And that brings us to our final key point this morning. A healthy church puts Christ on display when we love one another. When we love one another, Christ is put on display. Jesus makes this very clear in our passage, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as we have love for one another, it reflects the love of Christ and points others towards him. It puts Christ on display, the salt and light that the church is to be. 
You see a church, a worshiping community on mission that we strive to be here. As it's marked by love, it invites others in to experience that love. It even attracts, if I can be so bold to use that word, it attracts people in that want to experience that amazing love, that amazing grace. Christ's perfect love for the Father poured out through his love for us. And as we receive Christ's love, as God's love is in us, first we respond by loving Jesus, loving the Father, loving the Holy Spirit, that upward focus. And we join in God's perfect love, but then out of that, that love in us begins to pour out, overflows into loving one another, into loving the world, joining in God's love for the world. Christ's sacrificial love for the world. And that all puts Christ on display in a beautiful way. As we take up our cross and follow him in active, other-centered, God-focused love, Christ is glorified. And friends, when we do this together, when we love Christ in community, when we worship him together, when we're on mission together as a family of brothers and sisters who count others more important than ourselves, the surrounding world takes notice and sees God's love. The surrounding world begins to see, or, or can I say smell, the sweet aroma of Christ's love. And then God's sheep, in this case his lost sheep in the world, begin to be drawn in. One of my biggest concerns for the church today, and honestly one of the biggest concerns in my own heart, is that so often it seems to be void of Christ's love. So often my heart in many situations seems to be void in Christ's love and, and often I'm even blind to it. You see, when we don't make love central, and even when we try to, it's so easily to get focused only on the truth per se, but without love. Or we can get so focused on trying to do good works and good things in our community, but without love, or we get so focused on whatever that great thing that you love to do that's good and glorifying to God, but we can get so wrapped up in it that we forget about love. And thus all of those things, when we do them without love, we're actually missing the heart of Christ. And as we read earlier, without love, we are nothing. I think, unfortunately, you can probably agree with me here. The church can so easily become the aroma of death to the surrounding world. Instead of drawing people into Christ's love, we can repel people away because of a lack of Christ's love. Now, we've got to be careful because we must love one another, not as the world calls and defines love, but as Christ, as God's word, as Jesus' example shows us how to love. As we love like Christ, all people will know that we are Christ's disciples. A healthy church puts Christ on display when we love one another. Now, 
I've attempted to answer anyway, what's love got to do with it? We dug into Jesus's meaning by love and even what the result of Christ-like love does in our world and in our community around us. But in closing, we need to ask one more question. We need to ask maybe the most important question is how? How do we, the church here in Danville, in Burlington, in Fort Madison, how do we as the church love like Jesus? How can we step out of here today and even during the service love like Jesus? Well, the simple answer, of course, is we can't. We can't love like Jesus. The love like Jesus standard is far too high. His love is perfect. But as Jesus himself says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, to love like Jesus, we need Jesus. We need God. We love because he first loved us. I want to close with looking at John 15. I think it gives us the best insight into how we love like Jesus. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Sounds familiar, right? Without love, we are nothing. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Verse 9, a couple verses later, continues. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. To love like Christ, we must abide in his love. To bear the fruit of love, we must be connected to Jesus. We must be connected to the vine. And love is a fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, through 23. Kids, I know you're in here. You can help me out on this one, right? I know many of you have it memorized. So you can share them with me, right? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and kids, self-control, all right? Your parents want you to know that last one, self-control. All right, sorry, we're talking about the other one. What's, kids, help me out here. What's the very first one on the list? Love. That's there for a reason, love. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of my flesh, It isn't something we can just conjure up out of our own strength or our own stubbornness. It's from God. And to love like Jesus, we must abide in him, be connected to the vine and bear the fruit of the Spirit. And John 15, 10 continues, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. God focused, remember? Jesus is our example. He's telling us how he loves by focusing on God's love. And then this is the amazing part as the verse continues on. These things I have spoken to you that you, that my joy, Christ's joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We abide in Christ, in his love by following him, keeping his commandments, obeying his words. And when we do, what's it say? That we become tight laced curmudgeons. Grumpy, judgmental Scrooges, Twitter trolls. No! It says Christ's joy will be in us. 
that our joy may be full. I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier to love others when we're full of joy than when we're grumpy. Or you can ask my kids when we're hangry. But when we're truly just blown away by the grace and the love that God has for us, when we're in awe of the gospel, in awe that Jesus would die for sinners like us, so much so that we can't help but be full of responding and thanksgiving, full of the joy of Christ, then that love and that joy can overflow out of us to one another and to the world. We gotta abide in Christ. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He invites in the tired, the weary, the Twitter troll, the curmudgeons, the scrooges. He calls us in. Abide in me, abide in my love, sit at my feet. My yoke is easy. I hope we're getting the picture here. You see, we're in awe of the gospel. God's gracious gift of Christ. That's why that gospel-centeredness we've started with is so important because we need to look to the gospel, look to Christ's love over and over. And when we do, it draws us into him. In thanksgiving to just sit and abide at his feet in his love and to follow him, to be filled with his joy that's gonna overflow us out in, in love and joy to the community, to one another. That's what a healthy church looks like. That's how we love like Jesus. We abide in him and we sit in awe of his gift of grace. I ran across a quote this week that I think summarizes the, the point here of what this Christ-like love for one another and the world looks like. And, and really the end of the quote has just been in my mind and in my heart and, and I pray is my posture in our world and, and I pray your posture too. It's from D.A. Carson, he writes this. He says, their love for each other ought to be a reflection of their new status and experience as the children of God. That's being a new creation, made new in Christ, putting off the old, putting on the new, reflecting the mutual love of the Father and the Son and imitating the love that has been shown them. Their love for the world is the love of compassion and forbearance, evangelism, empathy. Here's my favorite part. Since all true Christians recognize they can never be more than mere beggars telling others where there is bread. Brothers and sisters, we can't love like Jesus on our own. In fact, we can't be a healthy, gospel-centered, disciple-making, biblical leadership, loving church on our own, but we can be amazed and sit in awe of the gospel. We can abide in Christ, sit at his feet, spur one another on to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul, to get into his word, and just be in awe of his grace and mercy. And then, like mere beggars, tell others where there's bread, the bread of life that satisfies for all eternity, pointing others to Christ, the savior of the world. Friends, let's be a church marked by love.
that loves like Jesus and puts Christ on display for the world. Not because we're awesome, but because we're mere beggars that just, by God's grace, happen to find out where the bread's at.